Welcome to the Entrepreneur's MBA, bringing you lessons from real-life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school. Here's your host, business coach and marketing strategist, Adam Kipnis. Welcome to today's episode of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast broadcast on C-Suite Radio. I am your host, Adam Kipnis, where we as always, interview everyday entrepreneurs on what they learned that they couldn't learn in school, how they built their business, what troubles they ran into, what lessons they learned along the way that they can provide to you. As always, you can find my podcast at theentrepreneursmbapodcast.com or follow me on LinkedIn or Instagram at Adam Kipnis on both sites. Today's guest is a successful business owner who started at the age of 16 Without knowing what he was doing, he was given an opportunity and he jumped at it. And over the last 30 years, has built a major luxury jewelry and watch brand, CraigShelley.com, Craig Shelley of Beverly Hills. It's an amazing company, not only because of the products they create, but the good that they do. Every product they sell, a portion of that goes to charity. Craig Shaw is a big believer of giving back. And if he can help his clients, he can help himself, and he can help the poor. He wins on all three levels. I think you'll really enjoy this interview. So I hope you have a good time, learn a lot, and thanks for being on the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. Craig, in, in your 30-year career in business, you've got jewelry, you've got watches, you've done real estate, you're speaking, you um, are coaching, mentoring, you have multiple programs that that help entrepreneurs align with you. You're a philanthropist through multiple charities. Did, when you got started, how did you know entrepreneurialism, entrepreneurialism was your path? And what was the first thing you did to get rolling? Uh, thanks for having me, Adam. Um, uh, you know, I just knew it at a very early stage in my life. I was born in India um, and my uncle, uh, who is a serial entrepreneur, actually he's raised a village, you know, he's, he supported maybe over a thousand families, if I'm not exaggerating. You know, it's literally he's supported a lot, a lot, a lot of families. And he was a very young entrepreneur at the time. And I grew up and I grew up in the household. Uh, this is my mom's brother. Um, and he, uh, looking at him, I idealized and I, I figured out at a very early age in my life, probably I must be 10 or 12 years old. And I'm like, okay, you know what? That's what I want to be. I want to be somebody who has... Uh, who's not bound, who's not tied, who's free to do things and who's ventured and who's a risk taker and help as many people as possible. So uh, at a very, very early age in my life, uh, I figured out that that's who I want to be. And you had a really weird opportunity when you were, what, 16, 17 years old in order to, to make that dream come true. You didn't start, you know, necessarily, you know, mowing people's lawns or picking up rocks or any of the things that, that some people do. You had an opportunity to leave the country with almost no money and go do something different. Tell us a little bit about that first journey that, that you were, I guess, lucky enough, probably scared enough to do at the first point, but lucky enough to, to set you on your path. You know, I was, I, I think I definitely was, um, I was lucky, but I also believe that I was very adventurous. Um, and what you don't know, what we didn't talk about earlier is what I'm going to tell you now is I was offered an opportunity um, at 16. Like I could have joined the family business, my uncle's business. He has an oil refinery back home in India now. 
since okay. last 40, 50 years. Very successful guy. Um, and he asked me, he said, 16, I was 16. And he's like, you know, uh, what do you want to do? Like, you know, it's a very customary thing in India where the part of the country that I was born in, Western India, that most, most families want their children to join their businesses very young. So I was the oldest in, in our household. He had younger kids. I was the oldest one. So he's like, why don't you join the family business? You know, we have a huge business. And, and I was always like uh, attracted towards one of my cousins was working for this company who was traveling around to Hong Kong and Bangkok and all those countries uh, at a young age and selling diamonds. And I'm like, mm, I don't know if I want to join the family business, but I want to do that. And he's like, uh, do you know what it entails? Like, it's, it's not easy. It's not what it looks like. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not like all the, you know, traveling the world and, jet setting and all that because you know back in the days if you imagine i'm talking about 1989 or yeah. 1990s right early on things were a lot different than they are today so flying to a unknown destination was you know not only a, a luxury but it was a very it was full of skepticism but i took it i said you know what i want to do that uh and i the only reason i think that i wanted to do that because i wanted to do something on my own not sit on a uh a, a, you know, not work in the family business that I was handed over, you know, like something. So, right. so yeah, I remember those days um, of, uh, you know, when I was handed over a ticket uh, from my boss, then uh, my ex bosses, you know, and they say, what are you doing tonight? And I was their favorite because I used to play cricket. And I told you that story. Yep. I used to play cricket with them. I used to take them out for movies. I was a fun kid, you know, uh, to hang out with them. They liked, they took liking of that. And, you know, it all starts with, you know, people liking you. I think it's the most important thing in life is people have to like you. And that's what gave me my first break. And he comes to me and says, uh, I'm still friends with him on Facebook. And I talk to him once a year and I see him in India when I go to India and he, you know, we remember and he says, what are you doing tonight? And I'm like, uh, nothing. You know, I thought maybe asking me out to say, let's go for a movie. Right. And He's like, uh, I'm nothing much. You know, he's like, uh, you know, you're going to Hong Kong. Here, here's your ticket and 300 bucks, 300 US dollars. And that's all he gave me in a, a piece of address. And I like, I think I got to call my mom <laughs> before I get on that plane. And I did that. And I was off to Hong Kong at, I was 16 and a half, 17 years old with an address, no phones. Remember no phones at the time, no mobile phones. Um, and I landed, I remember I was clearly, I landed, my cousins came to drop me off at the Bombay airport and I landed in Hong Kong six, eight hours later. And I got out, I, no clue. They stamped me in for three, four months, whatever it was. And I stepped out and I'm with an address. Nobody speaks a word of English. Um, I got into a cab and somehow managed to make him understand this is where I wanted to go. And he dropped me in the middle of a square with buildings all around and no word of English whatsoever, no sign. Now I'm with my bag. I'm thinking, where am I going? But that was a, that was a great uh, experience at that age. And that I kept going, building up on it. Uh, and, you know, I stayed there for, you know, I kept going there for like four or five trips every three, four months. I used to go back home. Then I moved to Tokyo for a year. Uh, the company moved me to Japan and I went to Bangkok. Um, and then ultimately I came to the U S when I was 19. Wow. And, and, and 
even though you, you had a boss and you were working for a company, you were very much on your own in doing the actual work that they needed you to do, the stuff that they needed you to do, and, and had to learn and grow up and mature at a very, at a very fast pace, correct? Very fast pace, because you, know, uh, you were never gonna ha be handed anything. You know, they didn't treat you any different than a 30 or 40 year old employee or, or somebody who's been with the company for 20 years. They just gave us like millions of dollars of diamonds and jewelry that's been handed over and you gotta be careful how you take care of it. You know, you gotta be very much, because if anything's lost or, or if stolen or something happens, you're responsible. Like that's a big responsibility at that age. And then I a big responsibility at my age. I mean, at any age, you know, it's it's a thousand dollars is a responsibility. You know, I was, we're talking 1990, and we're talking millions of dollars. So they used to give you parcels, and you know, you have to find your way to go out to the factories and sell them the diamonds or the jewelry, and they wouldn't tell you anything. You know, you you have a book of clients, you call from them, and you know, you pick the address and you find out how you're going to get there in the bus or whatever it means you are. So you find your own way all along, every day. Uh, all they provided was um, a shelter, like a place to live, and a chef, which was for everybody that would cook because we were vegetarian, all of us. So we're like, okay, we got to have food in Hong Kong, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and there was a McDonald's that I used to go and get French fries and a and, and, uh, and thick shake, uh, strawberry shake. But anyway, long story, it was the greatest experience of my life. It, forced me to do things. It made me, it was almost an institution that was so big that, you know, I just had to figure out my own way. Even though the office had only like eight or 10 employees in Hong Kong, but they were doing like over a hundred million dollars in sales. So you can imagine, you know, like it was a big operation with small lean uh, team and you got to figure your own way out. And that's, that, that trend continued. And I, I see that. And, and you're moving from place to place. You're getting um, maybe not the jet set lifestyle, but you are going to, to different countries, which, you know, I had the opportunity to do through Europe after, after I went to college. And it definitely changes your mindset a little bit. When, when you got to the U.S. and began to say, all right, I'm going to stay here and create my life, um, were you even employable from a mentality standpoint? Or did you have to go out and do something big and bold on your own because of the way that, that you grew up so quickly in the diamond business? You know, I was very, I was groomed very well. Uh, the, and my boss at the time understood very well that this guy's a greatest asset. So, so they would use me almost as a, like a wild card, you know, like they would send me on a heartbeat. Like they bought me a ticket called Visit USA for one year. So it was a round trip from India, uh, but I was allowed to work here because I was an interim company manager transfer at the time. But long story short, I was, they made me travel back and forth to any, they gave me a ticket, you know, back then Delta had purchased Pan Am, I remember clearly, and uh, they were offering unlimited flights any day, every day, wherever Delta flights, so as long as you have that Visa ticket. So they used to send me, go to Chicago, go to New York, go to Miami and meet this client, meet that client on the behalf of the company. And I used to do that. And I, I was always ready and eager to do things. Um, so that kind of, uh, set the tone for me, um, you know, to become a, an, a young assistant manager at, at 19. And I, I kind of insisted my boss when I was <laughs> back from Tokyo, I said, I want to go to US and I'm not taking, you know, I'm not going back to Tokyo. I'm not going to go back to Hong Kong. I want to go to the US. 
because that's what I wanted to study. I wanted to come here to study initially, but I didn't have any means. Um, so anyway, so that, that was the story. But, you know, being groomed, being thrown at things, being things thrown at you and having to figure it out kind of, you know, it's not the best. It's not a very strategic way of getting education and going to that particular, you know, going to, you know, uh, MIT or Wharton or to get a business degree or, you know, what have you. It was very much hands-on business degree. You yeah. know what I mean? Like real life experiences. Yeah. And that, I mean, honestly, that's why I love doing interviews with people like you on this, on this show is there is no textbook. Like they can't hand you a textbook and explain to you what life is going to be like when you just make the decision to start a business to for whether it's forging your own path or whether it's going to find clients. If you're in sales of any kind, you are an entrepreneur. You just might not call yourself that because yeah. you've got to go source your own leads and, and find your own message that gets people to say yes. But you're in the States, you have the opportunity to be here. And, but then you made the decision to leave the company you were at and to start your, your own personal voyage, your own journey. Did that lead, did you go right into jewelry? And we'll get, we'll get to, to what Craig does for those of you who don't know him, but did you go right into the jewelry business or did you look around or try other things before uh, the, the, the Craig Shelley model got started? Um, it was, again, again, it was by force. I wouldn't have left them if they didn't pay me my back pays when they were never paid. Um, they knew my family back home and that was the thing, you know, they were too comfortable. They were like, you know, this guy isn't going anywhere. We know him for so long. I've been with them for six years at this point. Um, you know, but they, they didn't realize that I got married. I had a kid. I needed a real life and real, everything had to be real. It can't be just, you know, like the way it was for the past six years. And um, so if it wasn't for a force, I wouldn't have left. And I decided to leave them. Um, but, you know, I didn't know anything else besides jewelry and diamonds, right? So they were primarily into diamonds. So I decided, you know, again, I go back to that, you know, what do you say? Necessity is the mother of creativity. So yep. we decided that, you know, if we're going to do the same thing that everybody else is doing, we're either going to be type costed or we're going to have more, we're going to fight more, bump more heads. Cause you know, the clients are going to be the same. So I said, I don't want to touch your clients. I don't want to touch anything you guys do. I'm going to create something new. So at that point I learned the art of designing. I said, okay, I'm going to design some jewelry. I'm going to design some rings. And, you know, it's not been a, it's been a very difficult journey in and out, up and down. I, by no stretch of mean, anybody should think that it's a, it was a cakewalk. It was an extremely difficult journey, but a very fun field. I was, I'm blessed to be in this country. I can't tell you how I feel about this country. It's just incredible. It gave me every opportunity there is. I took some, I fell some, I, 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 I I, but I, but for the most part, I picked myself up and I, I ran with it and we got, you know, accredited by uh, Platinum Guild International back in those days. It was only 30 or 32 companies that were part of it. And we were one of them. So we, you know, we started very small, very small and we built on it. We built on it. We kept, we created the brand. It used to be originally Craig S because my last name is Shah. When I got married to Shelly. And, and I, you know, she was a part of the company. I said, you know what, it's got to, it's got to change to Craig Shelley. Um, so we changed it to Craig Shelley. And then, you know, slowly things started, um, you know, some traction, some people trusted me, people helped me uh, a lot. And, and that kind of built, set the tone for, um, for the future. 
That's, that's fantastic. It's, it's such a cool story that, and, and we're about to get to, to where they are today and all the things that, that Craig and Shelley are doing, not only in business, but in the world. But as designers and designing jewelry and running a business and trying to make a name for yourself, right? You can run a great business, but if people don't like your designs, you're in trouble. If people love your designs, but you can't run a business, and you can't maybe fulfill on orders or, or whatever the case may be. How did you balance those in the early days in to create a company rather and, and then to create a brand from there? Because you had to get all those things working together. How did you manage that? Well, you know, uh, the three most important pillars um, of any business, whether it's jewelry, diamond, IT, any, anything in this world, anything you do, it's, uh, I believe it's ethics, integrity, and professionalism. If you have these three in order and your word means something to you, you know, everything else, you know, is, is going to be, you know, then it, it's, a, it's a matter of how you can, you know, represent yourself. First, people have to like, people do business with people they like. You know, that's number one. Number two is you have to be creative and you have to find your niche. You have to position yourself into a particular niche and offer that to, to, to the clients that, you know, Hey, why me? What's the reason? Why us? And, and then third thing is you got to be patient. You got to be consistent. You got to keep going. You got to keep building every dollar we made. We put it back into the company, into building the brand. You know, we didn't take salaries for so many years because we just lived off of very little and we just survived and we just kept, struggling because we were putting back on in the company and that's expensive. You know, branding is one of the most expensive thing there is, but you know what, guess where it's brought us today. It means that I have whatever I design and manufacture, I know that I'm able to sell and there is a demand for it or people have choices, but they like to wear our product. They like for quality. They like for craftsmanship. They like for design all of this, it's, it's a full circle. Everything has to come around as a full circle. Um, yeah, I think that's my take on it. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And, um, you know, I, I learned about you. We, we, Craig and I met at an event years ago on the watch side, right? And um, I'm a watch guy. A lot of guys are. You should check out his watches if you're a watch person. But it, it's, it's not just watches and it's not just jewelry. You mentioned the brand. And now the Craig Shelley name in, uh, in exclusive circles is well known. And you, you specifically built your brand. You didn't mass market. You didn't put your watches in, in every store. You have your own store and, and you've worked in other ways. Why did you make this strategic decision to be more exclusive in, in terms of your advertising in whether it's the Rob Report or some of the other higher end uh, publications being in Beverly Hills versus being in some place that's probably a whole lot more cost effective. Why the strategic decisions on luxury as part of your brand? Uh, you know, first of all, it's all starts with your taste, your own taste. Do you want to be the mass producer and go to China or India and make, you know, thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of products and then sell them? to, you know, to, you know, at, at prices that are like, there is a price war or do you want to be, or, or less is more for you. For me, less was more. And that, that has been my model for always, you know, like you don't have to, 
you know, you don't have to be the biggest, the baddest, you know, the oh, millions and millions of dollars in transactions. No, we have to do little, we have to do quality and we have to give, the most important thing is the client has to be the happy, happiest person. Like when you get a text, like even yesterday, I got a text with a picture of uh, the client and he proposed to her and he said, oh my God, Craig, thank you so much. I designed a ring for him. He spent a lot of money. He spent a great, made a beautiful emerald cut ring. But at the end, the satisfaction, the customer satisfaction was the biggest thing. So I, I figured out that if I work in mass, A, I'm going to have to go overseas to produce it. B, I'm going to have to uh, be dependent on someone else uh, for quality. And there will be so many things. I'll have to invest a lot of money into it. And then I'll have to go find a, a, a you know, fight with the majors to sell my product. So instead I said, you know what, I'm going to go after the select model. I'm going to select retailers across the country that really want to work with me. They really like me for who I am and for what we do. So we started only with platinum and 18 karat white gold, only with the top quality diamonds. We didn't use anything at subpar was not, uh, um, not a thing that we would settle for. And that actually became, you know, made in USA jewelry that was made here, which would work for us. People like the fact that we custom made it for them, that there isn't another ring that somebody is going to get from K's or uh, Zales and give it to their, uh, their, their love of their life, which 2000 other women had the same ring. So we made one of a kind stuff and we prided in that, you know, that kind of added to the, you know, and we made the same amount of money. You know, we were, if I would have sold a thousand rings versus I sold 20 rings or hundred rings, we, we made, we made good profit. We made decent profit at the time. That led me to believe that everything I do, quality is the name of the game. And that's what, that's why we went to Switzerland for watches and we assembled here for the most part. We brought the movements from Switzerland because there were no U S movements made at the time. But um, even now there's one or two companies that manufacture here in Switzerland, the watch uh, in the United States, the watches. So we went to Switzerland. We said, we we're going to do the best. We're not going to do anything subpar. Um, so that we kept our standards really high. We gave client the satisfaction. We gave the lifetime warranties. We didn't offer one or two year warranties and be done with the product. Even now, if you know, customer comes back after years and years, we take care of them. If there's any problem, we, we stand behind it because you know what? we said we're going to give lifetime warranty. So we better stand behind it. You know, that's, that's our motto. Yeah. Love it. And one of the things that a lot of new entrepreneurs have is uh, price versus value and value in themselves over and above the price of the product necessarily. You started selling a premium product at a premium price on the jewelry side, same thing on the watch side. Uh, obviously you, you, you had really high quality stuff. You believed in what you had, but that first sale, that first time that you quoted somebody a, you know, four or five figure, probably a five figure price for a piece of jewelry, uh, probably a little nerve wracking. How long did it take before your personal belief in the value matched that of the client, making it easier to sell? Adam, it's a process. It ne it's never an overnight thing, right? I couldn't quote somebody, you know, it's not like we were buying it for a thousand and we were selling it for 50,000. You know, it was, right. you know, we were, 
we, 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 were, we were making decent profit, you know, I mean, decent profit by that. What I mean is, you know, it was generally costing us seven or 8,000. We sell it for 10 or 12,000, you know, and the reason is we were sourcing it right. We were buying the diamonds correctly. We were manufacturing very tight ship. You know, we, we were running a very tight ship. So we didn't spend, you know, a lot of that, you know, there was no duty because it was produced here. So we had, we, we, we tried to measure the cost. So we ended up at the similar cost, better product, better quality. The, the retailer was able to sell it for a better price, you know, saying it to the client that, because we weren't selling it to the end users right. at the time. We were not selling to end users. We were selling it to a retailer. So the retailer was able to sell it to the consumers, say, showing them the value that it's a designer product, made well, made here, uh, with highest quality standard, we, we gave a certificate for everything. So we, we stood behind it, you know, and then the consumer felt very comfortable that, hey, they're buying something that someone's going to stand behind it. It's not a China made product. It's going to, the stones are going to fall apart or, you know, the gold's going to start losing its color. <laughs> right. Your finger's <laughs> going to turn very, green or whatever. I know. So it was, um, it was very, uh, it, you know, Yes, we, we got our margins better and better. And, you know, Be you know, coming to Beverly Hills was a strategic decision because if you want to be known in the world, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're not going to be known in La Habra. You know, nobody knows La Habra or nobody knows Irvine. But, you know, you ask a kid in Dubai that, hey, do you know where Beverly Hills is? And they go, yeah, man, I know it's in the United States. It's one of the world's most premier cities. You know, like it's, a, it's luxury is Beverly Hills, you know. So we associated with the city. We fell in love with the city. We fell in love with the values of the city. But, but for the most part, I'll be very honest with you, that it was the recognition that it gave us, that, you know, that, having, that all these other big brands had that recognition, like the super brands, you know? They didn't, they don't, they didn't know need any introduction, but they were all on that Rodeo Drive. To be that on the Rodeo and Brighton was the biggest high of my life. Like, wow, we're rubbing shoulders with Bulgari, even though we're like this small and they're like humongously big, right. but we're next to them, you know, we're, we're you know, with Ferragamo, our quality is there. We saw the product, I went and shopped their stores and I'm like, what the heck, man, our product is even better than theirs. And I was really proud that, hey, we produce manufactured stuff that, you know, some of these major brands can produce. So, thank you. I actually really, really, uh, was proud to be there showing them that the quality that we're manufacturing and the prices that we have, our prices are nowhere close to Ferragamo, Gucci or Rolex. We're way well priced. And, and, you know, we, so it's a very value for money. It's, it's affordable luxury, quite honestly, that's what we produce and that's what we pride in. Um, so, so, you know, yes, um, we did take our margins up a little bit, you know, only to give more, and, and we figured out that by taking those margins and removing the middlemen and all those things, the retailers and all those things, we're able to give back to children and hospitals and, and, and veterans that we that very much need to give the ultimate sacrifice. So that's what, you know, our, our, there's a shift in everybody's life. You know, I'm sure anyone, everyone you meet, you know, they have a shift at some point in time. And it happened with me and, and my family. And we decided that, you know, we have to make this work. The model has to be, around giving back that's the main that's the main purpose we're here in this world yes and it, it's such a fantastic thing that that you do and that a, a portion of, of proceeds go go to charity you've got different charities that that you take care of and you have aspiring entrepreneurs that you take care of and you have 
a, a partnership model, you call it ambassador model, as, as part of your marketing plan, where you work with other people to help them help their clients and everybody benefits, right, all the way down the line. If I help my client and they work with you, and then because they work with you, a charity gets benefit, everybody wins all along the way. As you continue to evolve in, the, in your model, as you continue to evolve in, in your business, um, I'm assuming the business allowed it, right? The business got to a point where you could step back and think bigger and be bigger. Can you, when did that happen? It probably wasn't one day, but there's probably a, a period of time where, where you were able to say, all right, the money's coming in, the business is running right, I can do more, I can be more. Tell us a little bit about that experience for yourself and, and how it came to be. Like I said, there's always a shift in everybody's life, right? Uh, it happens, you know, a time comes and you know that, you know, the timing is right. And you feel it in your heart that, you know, giving back is becoming more important to you than, you know, taking from, you know, like it's, it's big, it, it happens. And uh, it so happened that, you know, and, you know, I just took the CEO position two years ago um, before it was run by a family member. Uh, <clears throat> but it so happened that um, I got in contact with this amazing, amazing, uh, should I just say mentors? Um, everybody needs mentors. And, you know, I was always for the longest time, my uncle used to be my mentor. I used to look up to him, and I still do. But then I, you know, my, these, these coaches and this, uh, all these uh, amazingly wise people became my clients. They started becoming my customers. They liked and appreciated my product. And I was just watching and I'm like, my goodness, these people have so much wisdom. And where is all this coming from? What are they doing that's right? And I saw that they were all doing one thing and everybody was, there was one thing that was common and that was giving back. And I'm like, and then there was a shift in my personal life. There was something that I don't usually talk about, uh, but you know, God sent me some signals and you know, it just happened. And, and I, I figured out even, Sometimes today I forget that, you know, I take things for granted and everybody does, but then it makes me realize that, Hey, this is what my purpose is. From that day onwards, I was in Hawaii. I remember, and we were on a family trip and something really crazy happened. And that changed my life, quite honestly. And from that point on, I said, you know what? I have to take people under my wings as others have taken me under their wings. And I owe this to this, you know, the entrepreneurs, people who need to succeed, people who need to learn. We're fortunate, we're very fortunate, but we need to think about people who are not, you know? We always need to think about, you know, I, I go up to my fridge and get a glass of water and not think about it, right? I mean, there are people in other parts of the world that would walk 30 miles to pick up a bucket of water, fresh water. So all these things that came to me, children not getting enough opportunities, and we're fortunate that we got so many opportunities. So we need to just pass this on. You know, we need to help others. You know, that's what the shift came. And, and something told me that, you know, I had to, I have to create something. I have to create a model that allows me and that allows and, and becomes a, 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 a model for others that they can see and say how we can make you build your business around it. How can you? And it's, it's really, really good model. The more you give, the more it comes back to you. And I guarantee you that. Anyone out there, I can challenge anybody. The more you give, the more it will come back to you. And that I live by that model. I, I think that's the biggest thing I can tell you. That's so beautiful and so well said. And uh, knowing Craig, for everyone listening, 
he, he lives what he says. Not only is, you can go to his website at, at craigshelley.com and, and see the charities that he supports, but this is a guy, the first time, or the most recent time I met him, we don't know each other. And I said, hey, I'd love to talk to you about something. And he's like, oh, here's my cell phone. Give me, you know, shoot me a text, we'll set up a time. Right, that, that's just me. Think about that on a grander scale. How many times do we not ask someone for something because they're not gonna give it to us? Or we put ourselves out there, we think we are, but we don't really want to. Like the person calls and we're like, ah, right? You've made this a lifestyle from the, 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 the poorest people that you support to very successful people that you partner with so you can support more people broader. Um, and I love the way you put it. So just to finish that up, I mean, how, how do you continue to expand on that? How do you continue to find more people that you can share your jewelry, your knowledge, your experience, your time with, so it all comes back to that purpose to do better for the world? Hey, just do the right thing and people will find you. Now I'm telling you, there is nothing better than that. But you know, <clears throat> align yourself with the right people. Um, align, you know, you know, shake the right hand, the, the, the hand that matters. Um, be in the company of people that will, you know, they will only, you know, rub good things off on you. So if you don't have a mentor, find one. If you, uh, if you are not part of a group, get in, in, involved in a group that, you know, is really authentic. Like, you know, how we met, you know, like C-Suite Hero Club. I'm so proud of them. And, and, and then I made friends like Jeffrey Hazlett, you know, like the guy just, you know, we, we have so many deals going on right now. Incredible guy. Um, uh, you know, Bill Walsh. I mean, I have a show uh, and then I'm, I'm going to invite you to that on Monday, June 8th at 2 p.m. Pacific. Uh, it's called the Business Empowerment Summit. It's the 10X uh, show. And I have guests like Dave Medzer. He's a guest speaker. Dave Medzer is, he speaks all over the world. He's, he's awesome. He's, he's, been on the he's been on the podcast too. Of course he has. You know, I, he's, I, I look up to him. He's such a great guy. Um, Bill Walsh, he's going to be on the show. My partner, Cash Rastan, he's going to be there. Um, I have King Raj, like incredible people who have not only built their own empire, but they are willing to give back. It's all about, there's no salesy, no, nothing to sell only to learn for people who want to learn and who want to become that next, you know, millionaire. Let's, you know, or, or get out of all that, um, you know, uh, things that pull you down. Let's build them up, you know. Even if we can just show them, you know, by the power of just, you know, uplifting their, 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 their spirits, you know. And that's what it's all about. And, and that's what I feel like people can do is, you know, find a mentor and or find a, an organization, find a club, find a company that you can associate with. You can have no filters, you know, guards down, you can talk openly and you can tell them, this is what I'm going through. This is what I need. And, and just the other day from that call that we were on, there's another person that came to me and she's called me and she's messaged me. And I, you know, I took the time to evaluate her business model and, and see how we can help her and create that passive income stream that, you know, they don't have to worry about it. You know, they should, the money should keep coming in at a pace where they're comfortable and they should be able to do things they love. You know, it's all about, you know, I love, my passion is designing watches. 
if you tell me I'll wake up every day and I'll create a new concept, right? I mean, that's what I love. So same thing, you know, people have their passions and they should be allowed to follow their passions. Of course, money has its own role. We all need money to be able to be comfortable and to be able to survive and to be able to create your own legacy. That is what is most important. And, and you know, they're welcome to come and join our show if there are any seats available. There's no charge. It's just first come, first serve. It's for people who want to learn. Uh, that's awesome. I, I appreciate the invite. And uh, for those of you watching on Facebook, I'll put the, the link into the, uh, into the comments. So, so you can come. Uh, I'll, have this po- I'll get this podcast out earlier than planned. So some people can listen to it and get on there as well. We'll put it in the show notes for the show. And uh, we could do this all day. So I, I appreciate your time. You know, just in closing, you, you mentioned, um, you didn't say the word, but one of the things that, that you talked about with the, the people that you get involved with and the people that you've met and the hands that you shake and up-leveling every chance you get, it's community. And it's finding a community right now in, you know, COVID riot land, uh, for those of you who are, who are listening live, having a community is more important now than ever because you might not be able to go outside because there are riots or you might not be able to be able to go outside because you're, you're uh, high risk from this virus. And uh, Craig's got a community. Uh, we met through a different community and now those are coming together. Um, I was t- telling a friend that I was gonna interview him and he said, I know him and my friend Randy texted you. So community be- begets community. Um, I guess any final thoughts just on the, the power of community in your life and then, then we'll wrap up. I'll just give you one quick example and, and you know, um, that would be it for this session. Uh, but I tell you what, power of community is so important, right? Um, <clears throat> we think of it like this, you know, um, there's day traders, you know, in the stock market, right? Day traders go in the, I mean, I'm also one of the day traders. I mean, my wife is one, we all love the stock market. We, um, we trade, you know, every day and we get a little bit of, you know, we get crumbs, you know, like we get a little section, little slice of, you know, the big piece and, you know, we're happy with it. You know, everybody is happy. So that's one type of trader, right? So within my family, we have, I'll show you how many types of um, different mindsets there are. Then, you know, then there is a a long-term trader, you know, like there's somebody who, you know, like my daughter, she likes to, yeah, little money she makes, she'll put it away for a stock that's going to grow over the period of her, you know, lifetime and she will enjoy that, right? And dividends and all that and down the road it will grow. Then there is, um, then there is uh, my wife, you know, she likes to invest and she wants to create uh, real estate. She believes in real estate a lot, you know, so she's, that's that investment, right? And then there is people like me who are a little bit of more risk takers. And I believe in angel investment. I believe in putting a little bit of money in eight or 10 different upcoming starters. Understand where you're going. First of all, power of the community is where you will find. If you're in the right company, you will find those unicorns. Those unicorns will come in at three, four, five every day I get those unicorns. I have to read through them. I have to research a little bit and then I have to find and I have to have the courage to invest, even if it's a small amount. It doesn't have to be 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 or 100,000 or half a million. It has to be, it could be $500, doesn't matter. But believe in somebody. If you do believe in it, invest small or invest as big as you can and see that money grow 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 times in a short two, three year period. 
that's one of the things that I learned. That's why I sit on board of a couple of uh, IT companies that are all up and coming. They're all Yale and Harvard and students from you know very high colleges. They have started those companies. I believe in the projects and I support them. So I believe that if you find those unicorns and become an angel investor and learn how to become an angel investor, that's what you're going to find. That's when you're going to have that you know, a relaxed moment when you want to settle and, and do nothing and play golf or <laughs> go out and, and on, on your horse or do whatever you want, you know, or play cricket like I love to. So that's my thoughts, my friend. Um, but, you know, I hope that everybody that listened to this got a chance or probably got some value. I've just openly said my story. Um, it's raw. It's like it is. I love it. And I appreciate you taking so much time. Uh, thanks, uh, Craig Shaw, for being here today. I appreciate uh your time and your candor. It was great. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Adam. And we look forward to connecting soon. Definitely. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA. Download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business at www.freebookfromadam.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.